Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It's interesting, they gave him that title. That's the same title that they put over him when they crucified him. They called him the king of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now this is an unusual part of the Jesus story. These magi. Magi, if you know what's a magi, magi is where we get our word magician. Magi were just pagan, not God followers, but pagan followers of the supernatural, experts in astrology, magic, sorcery, divination. They were not followers of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible in multiple case, times in the Old and New Testament, I'm not going to give all these sources because we don't have that time, but the Bible talks about this, and in Deuteronomy, it's part of the law about not having anything to do with these things. As, as followers of God, we're not looking for extra outside of God's sources to direct our lives. We're not reading our horoscopes, we're not looking at our birth signs to see what our temperament's going to be like, because I don't know what, if you know what your temperament's supposed to be like, but it's supposed to be like Jesus. Your birth sign is that you have a new birth. So your birth sign is Christ. And that's, and you know what your traits are? The fruit of the Spirit it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You say, well, I don't have all those things. Well, that's the job, isn't it? That's what he's called us to. There shall not be found among you anyone who, pra- who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. This one is one of the, the things in Canaan, the land that they conquered. They worshiped gods that they had to sacrifice their children to those gods. One who uses divination, one who, you know, all kinds of forms of divination to determine divination is using, you know, sticks or tea leaves or something to try to figure out what the future is. One who's trying to figure out the future. One who practices witchcraft. Witchcraft, the word, the, the, the word for witchcraft is pharmakeia. Witch, witchcraft is always associated with drugs. Uh, one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive you out, drive them out before you. So these are pagan practices. These are, these are things that God says don't have anything to do with these because they're not of God. They're actually what we would consider, they're, they're, they're from Satan. They are counterfeits of how God truly deals with people. It's not truth, it's a counterfeit. So God says, stay away from the counterfeit because you have the real thing. 
And I would say that's true for us today. We, we, don't, we don't look for the counterfeit. We don't look for the, the things, that, you know, somebody to read our palm or to read tea leaves or to determine something for us. Our faith, our hope is in God. Our future is in God. It was established in him before the foundation of the world. Our, we can put our trust in him. We can have faith in him. And one of the things about faith is that sometimes, actually all the time, we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we trust the one who holds tomorrow. So we put our faith in God. Now these are clearly, these magi have come from the east. Uh, respected men. Uh, and they've, they've shown up they've, to worship Jesus. So these are clearly pagans that somehow they have picked up in their quest for to know more. God has revealed himself to them through his word or through truth. Because they have to have some sense of biblical truth because they're looking for the king of the Jews who is prophesied in Scripture. So they know the prophecies, and the prophecies then are leading them to the truth. You see, the Word of God opens our heart to faith. Faith opens our heart to, to believe and receive all that God has for us. Everything we get from God, we get by faith. And the incredible thing about that is that it's not faith that we work up on our own. Even that faith is a gift of God. We have the gift of faith to believe and receive. See, in, number, in num, numbers, numbers, that's, numbers is right next to numbers, but uh, uh, numbers 24. Now, this is a prophecy that is given by Balaam over the children of Israel as they enter the promised land. And Balaam has been hired by Balak to curse Israel. And he keeps blessing them and it keeps, you know, making Balak angry. But he says, you know, I can only do what God tells me to do. Uh, and this is a prophecy that he gives about Israel. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel, and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, or the four corners, which like, would be like the territory, and tear down the sons of Sheth, and the sons of Sheth, or the sons of Tumult, shall tear down confusion. So they, you know, apparently they had some sense of the, the prophetic promises of the word of God. They see the star, and they say, huh. This must be the Messiah. And so they start a journey from somewhere. They begin this journey. And you have to, as you think about this, think about this. This is not three men. This is three wealthy men that are traveling. And they're not traveling by themselves. Because they've got treasure with them. So they have servants that have cooked for them on the journey, and they've got, <laughs> they've got provisions, and they've got slaves, and they've got a whole entourage. So when these three wise men show up, it's probably 50 people that have showed up because it's the, the support of, of carrying them across the desert. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. It's interesting. It's an interesting saying, isn't it? When King Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled because he was troubled. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them whether the Messiah, whether the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for that this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, one of the reasons why it says when Herod was troubled, everyone was troubled, Rome conquered Judea. In 63 B.C. and in 40 B.C., Herod was made the vassal king. In other words, Rome ruled over Jerusalem through Herod. They let him retain. They put him in in charge and made him, in a sense, the king of the Jews. And his job, of course, was to keep the peace, keep the people from revolting against either him or Rome and to collect taxes, as you can imagine. He's called Herod the Great because he, he did some great things. He built uh, a port city uh, in Caesarea. He had the ingenious idea of creating a port city. There was no port at Caesarea, and he had ship hulls built, and he sunk them and created a created a harbor like often we do today by filling it with stones and until there was a built-up harbor. He, uh, he rebuilt Jerusalem and the temple, made, made all of Jerusalem uh, a showplace. He invested lots of money in Jerusalem and the temple. He built seven great fortresses where he could go run and hide if he had to, if the people revolted, uh, that he would be able to get away. He had 10 wives, and each wife produced an heir that could succeed him. And this caused him much anguish, because he was fearful of losing power. So fearful that he killed three of his own sons and his favorite wife in in fear that they were, they were in an overthrow attempt. Uh, he had the high priest killed in what the historian that I read said in a, uh, in a really rough water polo match. They drowned the high priest. Uh, Caesar said about Herod, it's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. You get the joke, because he's a Jew, he wouldn't kill a pig. He wouldn't slaughter a pig, but he'd slaughter his own sons. When he was nearing death, this is after this time, but when he was nearing death, he imprisoned a thousand of the leaders of Israel with an intention of having them killed on his death so that there would be mourning in the land because no one was going to mourn his death. You can imagine, not even his family. So he was going to kill a thousand people so that he would mourn them. So it's fair to say when it says, 
When Herod was troubled, everybody was troubled because he didn't know what it meant. Who's going to die? What's he going to do? What's going to happen? Because he, he wielded his power mercilessly. Second thing that I think is interesting about this is that he goes to the scribes and the chief priest and, and says to them, okay, where is the Messiah going to be born? These, this entourage of these magi have come from the east and they've shown up here on his, at his house, at his place, at his palace, and they've said, we've come to worship the king, you know, where is he? And so he calls for the scribes, the religious leaders that know the scripture and says to them, okay, where is the Messiah going to be born? And they, knowing the scripture, say, well, he has to be born in Bethlehem because the scripture says that out of Bethlehem he's going to come. I think it's interesting that you think about it. So he goes to the chief priests and the scribes. These are the people, these are the religious leaders that are looking for the Messiah. These are the Jewish leaders. These are the religious leaders of the day. They know the scripture. They know the scripture about where the Messiah is going to come from. They're looking for the Messiah but they make no effort on their own to go to Bethlehem. Nobody says, wait, you mean you think the Messiah has been born? You've seen some prophetic indication that some prophecy has been fulfilled and you believe that the Messiah is here now, and we believe if the Messiah is here now, he's in Bethlehem, let's go see, and nobody takes a six-mile trip to go see if the Messiah is in Bethlehem? It seems, it seems incredible to me. And I think it's, it's a warning for us. Because if we're not careful... Our relationship with God can be just religion. It can be just dead words. We can lose the life and the vitality. It can be just knowing a bunch of stuff. And sometimes we, we, we make church too much about knowing and not enough about doing. Christianity is not just a knowing religion. Here's what Jesus says. God calls us through Christ. The reason Christ came so that we would know more religious stuff. There was plenty of that already. Christ came to fulfill the law so that the barrier between us and God could be removed. The wrath of God is taken off of us, and now we are invited into the family of God. Now we are invited into not a religion, but a relationship. And somehow they've missed it. They've missed it. You see, Jesus describes, he says, this is what the law is about, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He said, it's, it's not a little compartment. It's not, it's not Sunday. 
It's everything. So I, I, I don't want to just I don't want to just bring you into a religious system. So I want to bring you into my family. There's, that's a little different, isn't it? When God says Jesus is coming to bring you into the family into relationship. And they missed it. It was just to them religion. And so when the King of Kings is born, the Lord of Lords is born, they're like, well, you know, we can't be bothered. It doesn't fit into our schedule. Probably the Cowboys were playing that day. (laughs) I'm just going to ride this the whole time. (laughs) Then Herod Sikari called the Magi and determined from them the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. So, what was the star? I have no idea. And neither does anyone else. Was it, you know, God often works through the natural to do the supernatural because he created it all. You know, don't you think it's possible from the creation of the world for God to have a star that's going to go supernova at just the right time? I don't know. It's all kinds of things that could have happened. And I don't know. It also could be a light that was visible to them that they just followed. And it seemed it was in the heavens. It was a star. I mean, God had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud during the day over the people of Israel. God's not limited in what he can do. It's not logical. We talked about Jonah and the whale a couple of weeks ago. There's no logical explanation for how a whale can swallow a man and he can live or survive in a whale. If that's the way it worked, I believe he was dead. But what if he was alive? What if he was alive in a great fish for three days? There's no limit to what God can do. There's, There's nothing. I mean, he raises the dead. So everything after that. Is, you know, to create life from non-life is, is always miraculous. So, and after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the, in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the Christ was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. I think that's so cool that these totally pagan, outside of of Israel, see the star, know the prophecy, make the trip, make the journey, find the Messiah, a baby with his mother, we don't know how old, maybe two, because Herod had the babies two and under killed. 
maybe two at this time. Maybe they've been in the house in Bethlehem now for two years. And they come into the house and they fall down in worship. Why? Because this is the plan. This is the plan. You see, the plan is not Israel. The plan is the world. The plan is not just that these people. You see, God said to Abraham, in you all the nations of the world will be blessed. We can't miss that what God was doing is that God is throwing out an invitation to the world. He's saying, I want want you to come into my family. Isaiah 60, verse 3. Nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. And your daughters will be carried in your arms. Then you will see and be radiant. And your heart will thrill and rejoice. Because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Epheth. All of those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense. And will bear good news of the praise of the Lord. The Christ is not just the king of Israel. He is the king of kings. He's the king of all the nations. These pagan astrologers have come and fallen at the feet of Jesus. They've come to worship ahead of the priests, ahead of the scribes. Only those dirty shepherds have beat them to it. They've come to worship Now, here's the thing we need to be careful of. Think about this. We need to be careful of determining in our minds who we think can come to Christ and who can't. We need to be careful not to create in our own selves just like this qualifier, like, oh, well, they're too far gone. Oh, they're they're too messed up. I mean, these, these were wizards. <laughs> it's, it's Gandalf and Dumbledore have come to Christ. They've seen the truth. And they've surrendered their wizardry to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They've, see, they've, they've served the counterfeit. And now they see the truth. And they fall at his feet in worship. We have to be careful that we, we don't pre-qualify people. That we, we don't see people the way God sees people, but we see people through our lens of prejudice. I'm not talking about racial prejudice. I'm talking about situational prejudice. Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you Pharisees, he says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to get into heaven before you. We don't want that to be our accusation, does it? We we want to have God's heart. You see, what we, we want to see people the way God sees them. If we ever feel like, if you ever feel like you got saved, God called you because you deserved it. That he picked you because you were a little better than somebody else, then you are so deceived. 
because you only got here. I only got here by grace. We should be exalting in that. And so the exalting that what God does for lost people, God's looking for lost people. Why did Jesus come to bring lost people to salvation? Not the deserving. Because you don't get in until you realize you're not worthy. <laughs> you see, you don't get into God's family until you recognize that you're not worthy to be in his family. And you have to receive what Christ did on the cross to make you worthy. And that's what puts you in the family. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I've looked at my watch like I can't see that one back there. Like, oh. Look at this little tiny one. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for royalty, frankincense uh, for priesthood. It's in, used in the incense in the worship. Myrrh for death. One of the spices that's used in, in preparing a body. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child, and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and destroy you. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And while he remained there until the death of Herod, this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of, out of Egypt I will call my son. And uh, so they end up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which I, I think is one of these things. I God's like, hey, uh, I've asked you to raise my son. Uh, here's, here's the first payment. Uh, and you're going to have to take a trip, so you're going to need some cash. So here's some gold. Here's some stuff that you're going to need. God always provides the ability to do what he calls you to do. But he doesn't always give you advance warning that he's going to. God calls us to do something. He always calls us in our weakness. And then he enables us in his strength so that he gets the glory. So we get to look back and say, look what God did. Because if, if God didn't do it that way, then we want to say, look what I did. Look what God did. Then when Herod saw that they had been tricked by the Magi, he became very in enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under. That's why we get the fact that maybe the Magi had been there at about two years. According to the time which was determined from the Magi, then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because there was no more. But, Herod, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought this child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Statisticians, statisticians, say that if Bethlehem was about, probably at this time, between twelve and 1,500 people, 
there would have probably been 12 to 15 male children under the age of two that Herod would have killed. And, uh, and this is what, you know, this is horrible. This is a horrendous thing. And there was, I'm sure, weeping. Uh, infant mortality was very high in ancient Rome. Uh, infant mortality has been high throughout history into the last several hundred years, really. They didn't really hardly even consider a child. Uh, it was, the Romans wouldn't name a child until they had survived for a period of time because infant mortality was so high, they would wait until they looked like they were going to survive and in a sense name them and make them part of the family. This is a horrible thing that happened. 12 to 15 children were killed because of Herod's vanity, his desire to retain power, his fear that the Messiah King is going to come and take over. And he's nearing death anyway. He's getting close to his, his time. Uh, we have to value life because Satan doesn't. Satan doesn't value the life of children. He doesn't value the life of babies. We see it in, 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 the, in the world's overwhelming push for abortion. The push for abortion. And so we, you know, we who love God, we have to be for life. You, you know, you say, well, what about the right of the mother? I, the only, the only, I have no problems with the right of the mother. But the right of the mother ends at the life of the child. We must protect the sanctity of life. We must be for life. We must be the people of God who are for life. We must sacrifice for life. We must, we must, we must pay the price. We must help. We must help people that, that want to do adoptions. We must help people that are struggling. They're in a crisis of their life. We've, we, we need to put our money where our mouth is a lot of times and help people with life because we need to be about life. We need to be the people that are about life. Because that's God's call. Okay. So, this is it. What do we get from this story? We don't want to be the type of people that have become so religious we've lost our passion for Christ. The relationship with Christ is an ever-growing. It's not that God is changing because he's not. It's not that you know, you're going to, you need to get more of Jesus than you got when you got saved because when, Jesus, when you get Jesus, you get enough. It's not that you need more of Jesus. But in Christ, because it is a relationship with God, there's a whole lot you don't know about God. You, you've grown. You're, you're learning and you're growing. But one of the, one of the joys of the Christian life is that, that, that ongoing aha, <laughs> the ongoing discovery that you, you, you know, you, we've all experienced this. We've, where we've, you know, we've read the 23rd Psalm a hundred times. And you read the 23rd Psalm, you know, one morning, so you're devotional, you're reading the 23rd Psalm, the Lord, and you're reading it, but something in that moment, you know, you read, he leads me beside still waters 
And the Lord just touched. It's like, it's like lightning. It's like life. Because it's a relationship. He invites us into this living reality, the living word, not the dead word, the living word, so that he is, he's working on us, he's changing us, he's moving in us by his spirit. It's not just old dead religion. It's the life of Christ working in us, making us more like Christ. And I don't know about you, but there's still lots of work to be done in me. And the second thing is, don't write anybody off. Don't, go, don't, don't imagine that somebody is too far from God, too lost, too messed up, too addicted, too far down the road of sin. Because it's almost like God specializes in people who recognize they're lost. You know, sometimes it's harder to save a person who thinks they're good because they think their own goodness will save them than a person who knows that they're a sinner going to hell and they need a Savior. So let's not be people who would ever Try to decide for God who's worthy of the kingdom. Because that's his job, not ours. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that in your grace and mercy... with no good reason that anything that justified us, nothing that was attractive, no work that we would do or, or something that we were going to accomplish that you desired to call us, but just out of grace and mercy to draw us into your family, just to birth us into your heavenly family, you gave us life and salvation. Lord, help us to love people and see people the way you do. Remove the blinders that we put on our eyes, the qualifiers that we put, and Lord, let us see people for the good of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.